Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Knife Nuts podcast, the show that brings you the best and worst that the knife community has to offer. My name is Levon, and I'm joined by Dave. Hey, what's up? Jake's here, too. Howdy. And, of course, we have Mr. Sharp by Design, Brian. Hello. And on today's show, we actually have very special guests. Please welcome uh, Ferrum Forge, Chris, and Elliot. Hi, guys. Chris here. Howdy, everyone. So what's everybody carrying today? Uh, I'll start off. Um, so today I have, among other things, the Spiderco Spidey Chef, which I got in last week. And uh, I love Marcin Sleesh's designs, so I was pretty excited about this one. You can tell it's not made as well as the Sleesh Bowie, but it's pretty nice. But the the one intriguing thing is that it uses LC200N, which people know as Chronidar 30 or Zfinite Steel. Uh, and... Chris and Elliot, you guys have used that, right? I'm curious because so far I've noticed that the blade scratches really easily and the only other knife I've had that scratches easily is one that was um, laminated with 420J too. So I'm kind of wondering what it's like to heat treat this or what it's like to work with this steel because so far it seems kind of soft to me. And you've already put us to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. wait We're getting into the metallurgy (laughs) hour. Real quick. Well, we're just going to jump right into the real good stuff, the yeah. real exciting things. Um, so I have used Z-Finite before, and I actually really am a big fan of nitrogen-based steels. Um, they're some of my favorite because they give you just crazy properties. Um, great impact resistance, obviously corrosion resistance. Um, and some of them can give you really nice edge holding. I don't know the specific formula for the steel that you mentioned, but for Z-Finite... I know that we were running that at about 5960, and to me, it never felt uh, any softer than any other steel. Hmm. Yeah, but that's the difference between uh, kind of a, a custom knife shop and a production line, where they have to be concerned about other things than just how well it performs. Yeah, another thing that made me concerned about it is when I got it, I, it, it wasn't broken in, or at least it didn't feel broken in by the action. I took it apart, and the washers had already polished the tang of the blade, so I was like, it seems odd that that would happen so fast unless the steel was on the softer side, but eh, just conjecture. But otherwise, I really like this knife. So, I like the design of that knife. I was curious about it when they first launched it. I was thinking, do they make it uh, the steel? I mean, that steel doesn't get hasn't been tested that for that high a Rockwell hardness yet, right? Or hasn't tested well with higher than 59 or 50, 60 is what you guys said? Well, when I'm putting a steel that nobody knows about into a knife, I usually try and stay fairly down the middle on the heat treat on it and not go too crazy. Uh, we have run uh, a myriad of steels at their peak performance levels, and we get mixed reviews on it. Um, steels like 20CV or M390 or 204P. Um, in the past, we've run that at its maximum sort of working hardness and working wear resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, for like super hardcore knife guys, they loved it because they could just cut the crap out of stuff and it would never get dull. Um, but for people that are not quite that intense with their knife uh, ownership, they were like, I can't sharpen this stuff. And so... For the most part now, we kind of stay a little bit more down the middle when we go with heat treats. Gotcha. I, there's Now we're talking about steel. I was just thinking, Brian, you just uh, showed the picture of your uh, of your new dagger, the tactical version, and you use that Nitro-V, which I'm actually really curious about. I am too. 
<laughs> so wait, you haven't stabbed any steel drums or anything with it yet? Haven't done anything yet. I'll be over yeah. next week. We'll stab into some car doors or something. Then we'll know what's going on. Or just send one over to Lynn Thompson. He'll be glad to do it for you. <laughs> He's like, uh, can you kill a donkey with it? They'll come back right. covered in bacon grease. No lie. No <laughs> lie. Jake, you were there, right? Remember this? This was at um, East Coast Custom Knife Show last year. Um, and we're t- hopefully they're not listening. <laughs> we're talking to Andrew Demko and his brother, right? Mm-hmm. And they're telling, a, and I had bought one of their, um, what was that knife called? The, uh, uh, 8015? 8015? Uh, the 15? 15? Yeah. yeah. A- awesome. Badass, like hard use folder. That was 20 CV, as a matter of fact. But, he had told us, and I said, so what's it like working with, like, Lynn Thompson? Is it, is it really as strange as we think it is? And his brother goes, like, dead serious. He goes, look, looks me in the eye, and he said, when, when, when we showed him the prototype of, of this knife, he asked us to kill a donkey with it. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can, can you kill a donkey with it? And I was like, are you, What? <laughs> neither of us were prepared for that kind of who are you serious and i mean maybe he was lying just to like to like keep the mythos up about about lynn thompson but what a lie it is aren't those guys you know? from like central pennsylvania i feel like those people don't lie that's true they don't know what lying is that's pretty impressive if he did make that up though yeah um. I First didn't ask him if they killed the donkey, but you know that's beside the point. <laughs> that's no none of our business. <laughs> no donkeys were harmed in the in the making of this knife, but yeah, that that's some crazy shit, right? It's going to be the new test around here. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I know a guy. We can get some donkeys. It's not a problem. No, you, you have a donkey it's, guy. It's so it's okay if you donate the meat to homeless shelters after. It is. That, that's how it works. Hey, that's how contributions. That, that Come on, bro. Thing. Have you ever that wondered is... about the logistics of that? Like, do they pick it up off the ground <laughs> in the hot California sun and drive it to a homeless shelter? It's like, you, you want this leftover denim meat? It's, it's just been laying there on a warehouse floor. Oh my! Yeah, but it was sliced with the katana. Yeah, but anyway, back to what we're carrying. You know. Uh, I've been carrying the uh, performance uh, series uh, from Strider, the, the Jibble, which is a really fun word to say. I'm not quite sure why they called it the Jibble, but it just seems to fit. And it's a really, like, just like a brick of a knife. It's almost coffin-shaped when it's closed. And I feel like I have this, like, titanium coffin in my pocket. It just makes me feel really metal. More metal than normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's there to remind you of all the unborn children you killed while using prophylactics. There we go again with the accusations. Where's the word allegedly when you need it? Allegedly. Um, but either way, it's it's a really cool knife. Um, uh, I just haven't fallen in love with it, so I'm actually just carrying a little bit and see see how it feels and if it, uh, you know, I might be moving away from it. We'll see. I know Jake, you've spent some time with it. What did you think of it? Uh, ex- exactly the same same sentiments. It's. Um its name is the most interesting thing about it <laughs> it came it, one of the craziest things ever like you know strider knives are not really known for like bang for your buck so but when we got this one and we opened we opened the uh the the box 
we noticed that it oh, actually yeah. had a pouch and a badge that said Jibble. I was like, oh my God, we've hit the Strider jackpot. It's yeah. never getting better than this. He didn't even wrap it in a paper towel. But yeah, before that, we ordered uh, two PTs at the same time, and they came all but just loose in a cardboard box. I, for, I forget what exactly. It, there might have been a little bit of uh, bubble They're wrap both- and a piece of scotch tape involved, but... You think when you when you go to when you go the MSC route instead of the production route, you're gonna get like a at least one of those five dollar pouches, but not and not a you know scotch tape uh, bubble wrap. But <laughs> that, I mean, not I that know. packaging is important, but like why bother at all? You know, at that no, point? that's the most high speed low drag packaging there is. Nothing that's slowing true. you down from getting to that knife. <laughs> 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 Unboxing's made easy with Strider knives. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So I mean, it, this is where this this segment gets funny because we always just have Brian on here, and he's a knife maker, and he doesn't <laughs> like never carried a knife. He's never carried a knife in his life. But I mean, you guys. I mean, do you guys EDC your own stuff, or is there like something else that you guys are into, knife wise? You know, we absolutely <laughs> carry our own stuff. One of the reasons I started making knives was so that I could have good knives. Nice. Mm. Um, what I'm actually carrying. Ooh, that's kind of a special one. I'm carrying the uh, the Gavco spinner collab that we've been working on, and mine has the sexy damascus steel blade. Oh yeah, I think I saw one of your video videos that you were showing. Uh, you guys had colored the blades. Yeah, Ooh. baby, that looked pretty. Oh rad, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. You guys are fellow Star Wars geeks, and I know you went, you know, full Jedi on some of those things. We can't yes, use we that do. term. Oh it's yeah, copyright. Force user, force, force user. user. Even that maybe, even that maybe. Force user. No, we don't I want mean, the mouse coming for force, us. Force, force of gravity. Uh, what other sort of forces do we use? Friction, friction. You know. You know All right, argue. continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was really cool. If you guys didn't see that yet, they were Dama steel blades. Is it like a like a watered down Cerakote? What are you guys doing? So I I like I've been through Cerakote and some other coating options and uh, actually kind of randomly stumbled across one day a nano ceramic coating and uh, it's it's an e coating so it's basically electroplating to apply it and then I have to cure it in an oven but because we I've been really working on the the coating stuff with all of Elliot's carvings that he does on our Maker's Choice knives. Mm-hmm. I needed something that could really get into all of the little details and all the cracks and grooves and everything that he's carving in those. And so I, one day I was just like, you know what? This looks interesting. Got it. Took me a little bit to figure it out. I just had to make sure I had to switch the poles from my power supply. And I was like, oh my God, it works. It coats things black. And uh, it's so far of all of the coatings that we've used, uh, it, it holds up the best over time and uh, helps with all the, the corrosion resistance and it allows me and Elliot to incorporate more colors than we could only get with titanium and anodizing. So like for years people were asking us, I want red and I want black. And I was like, those are the two colors that I can't make on titanium. So when I, when I stumbled across this, uh, it was very helpful. It was like, well, we can make things black and red now. And then it's just kind of taken on a life of its own as we keep experimenting and trying new things. Well, I think you're you're glossing over the really important part of that was when we got the black coating in and it worked, I said, great, they make it in red, right? 
<laughs> now we can make a lightsaber. It, that's really what it was all about. <laughs> so you guys liked your Photoshop, right, for for the cover of this episode? Oh, jeez. <laughs> that was, that was glorious. It was, you know, print it out and put it on the wall. There's yeah. one person who didn't like it very much. No. I think it fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay, Brian. I, like I said, I just took him back to his, his like early 20s when he had long flowing locks. I breasts. didn't have a I didn't have a forehead that was three feet long though. <laughs> That's just now. <laughs> but Brian, now yes, now I do. <laughs> Brian, I know you're not really carrying a knife, but today you showed the the world the uh, the new dagger design. Um, I know kind that's of, something kind of almost. I mean, we kind of got an idea of what it's going to look like at this point. How excited are you about getting that thing? I'm I'm pretty psyched about it. it just I've been so busy with the orders lately. It's now trying to get ready for blade i'm just starting to panic really it's uh time's getting short chris elliott are you guys all ready for blade <laughs> we are not going to blade this year oh wow how about that mm-hmm. we haven't been since 2015 actually this is how this is why i do my research before the show oh, didn't work out <laughs> didn't work out very well but that's all right um i'm not going to blade either jake's not going dave's not going the <laughs> nope. sole knife nuts representation at at blade rests on Brian Nadeau's shoulders. Yeah, M- Mr. Talkative. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> well, it's good because he's probably the only one of us that won't have someone try and kill us at Blade for something we've said on the podcast. <laughs> Chris Reeves coming for you. Yeah, he's coming for a big hug because I love him. <laughs> I'm here to give you a hug. I don't know. I didn't give him. I didn't give him the real South no, African none, accent. None of us can do the South African accent. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it on. I can't do it on cue. This is That's the second time. Story. Nobody can do the South African no. accent. Oh God. But your, yours was an old Jewish guy accent, though, Levon. That was even worse than mine. No, that that was no. My my old Jewish guy accent sounds a lot more like this. It sounds like Nick Shabazz. Inverted mine sounds like, Yeah. <laughs> oh God, we're getting into Wait, the weeds yeah. here. <laughs> hey, Nick anyway, uh, <laughs> hey, Nick Chabet. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you could introduce the news, or at least the segment, and I'll start with the news. Absolutely. It's not as jam-packed as last week's was. No. Or, well, not last week, the, the last episode, because we just got into it. I mean, but there's still some updates to some, some really hot topics and a couple little things we'd like to share. Yeah. Dave? Okay, so the first one is <laughs> Anthony Marfione. Uh, currently embroiled in three lawsuits, but now make it two. Uh, allegedly, I'm just going to throw that in there. Allegedly, has settled with Tony Scalabrini of Everyday Commentary. So, if you don't recall, Anthony Marfione was suing him for defamation over a article he posted on his website talking about the history of the ZT777 and the Microtech Matrix. And then the Kershaw Natrix that followed afterwards. Anyway, they've settled, and that does not mean that a judge ruled that the design wasn't stolen or anything. It was settled probably because paying for legal fees is really expensive, and who wants to drag that out to trial? So I don't really blame Tony for settling, but as a consequence, he has to do 700 hours of free legal service for the American Knife and Tool Institute and write an apology for that article. So he basically got cucked big time, and I feel very bad for him. Uh, if I was him, I'd just be like, fuck this, I'm, I'm out of this shit, and be done with the website, because that's wild that it's going to cause that much problems in his personal life. All I can say is, we're probably doomed. Oh yeah, we're, we're fucked. <laughs> we're next. Yeah, absolutely. 
Any of you guys have anything to say about that? I mean, it's it's kind of like a touchy subject. I don't even really feel like touching on it, but I mean, you know, in this industry, it's a very small, tightly knit community, and some people are more butthurt than others. Well, the most interesting <laughs> thing here is that part of the condition of the settlement was that Tony Scalabrini needs to provide some information to Microtech for their lawsuit against Kai. And I think that's going to be the real match. This was like the, that's going to be the title card. And this was just the warm up because I don't think Kai is going to settle because uh, they have a lot more money than one person. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. On the Marfione side of things, I actually finally got to handle some of uh, the heretic knives stuff. I mean, yeah, I'm saying I'm talking about a different Marfione at this point in time. But uh, I was actually curious about um, what um, these knives felt like. If you guys didn't know, uh, Heretic Knives is, uh, isn't it AJ Marfione? Is it's that his Anthony name? G. Marfione Jr. And A.G. Marfione. A yeah, something like that. Either way, I did get to handle the knives at a local knife shop, too. Uh, and I was really excited about that. Um, there is a... A uh, place in New Hope, Pennsylvania, called Fred Eisen Leather, but he actually sells a lot of great custom knives that he's curated over over the years. He has a fantastic Chris Reeve selection, uh, Benchmade, if you're into that sort of thing. But really, really cool stuff. And he's he's on Instagram now too. But and his prices are not rapey. You know, a lot. And you know, and I partially i can't blame a lot of these brick and mortars these days because they've got to compete with the internet and that's just not something you can do but he has really kept his prices like what you see is what you get like i was telling um dave i purchased a, a chris reeve uh, small sabenza from him and i paid like 325 plus you know and i got a free sheath with it and you know it made up for the fact that he didn't have to ship it or anything like that i paid exactly what i would have paid on on a website which i was really excited about but i finally got to handle these heretic knives and they're they're really well done i will say that i think i might actually purchase one yeah i, I mean i wish anthony jr all the best since he is also being sued uh him and his wife so they, they look you know, good yeah, they look good. And as far as a lawsuit goes, again, not touching that. Yeah, you know, who, kn family's who knows? Family, who knows what's happening? Yeah, but that is actually, speaking of that brick and mortar, it's a good segue into top quality knives. Uh, a knife retailer just up and shut their doors online today. Uh, if you went to their website and if you still go there, there is just a message that they just basically closed today out of nowhere because Amazon and the competition from that. So might see that happening with brick and mortar stores or even some of the smaller online stores once uh once knife companies start selling direct to big box places like amazon we'll see how that turns out i mean and, and it's funny I mean, to make a specific example jake why don't you talk about the the place that's up near you country knives yeah we we've talked about that it seems to come up once every uh every few months um and at first it was uh, sheer excitement that we had somewhere an actual brick and mortar to go and handle these knives and uh you know they have uh i don't, I don't know how, how would you describe the uh the selection there i mean it's it's huge it's vast i mean they have a lot of they do a lot of business with like kitchen knives and uh, they sell a lot of swiss army products you know a there's lot other of stuff yeah but stuff. then that the, but then every any sprint run spider co for the guys that they really like to collect that stuff for me it was a the only place you could find at least a brand new version of, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff and every, every ZT ever made. And 
uh, Emerson and, you know, a lot of brands that you're not going to see, obviously, at like a sporting goods store or something, something like that. So at least over here on the East Coast, we're not used to seeing, you know, any of those mid-tech and higher-end production knives in stores. So, you know, we're largely just going off of reputation, but it was really neat to find that place. And we went there pretty regularly for a couple of years. And there was always this, this big caveat to, <laughs> to going there, you know, we would want something and, and get all excited and then realize the price is basically double what it is online. And, and there's kind of a conflict. I personally was very conflicted because you know, I feel overwhelmingly uh, motivated to support the brick and mortars. I think, you know, we need them, we want them. And, you know, I've been in that situation before where someone just comes in and uses your facility for, uh, you know, to get the feel for something and then goes and, and buys it online. And, you know, there's no, uh, I, there's nowhere to go but down with that. Uh, but it's, it's going to continue to happen. And unfortunately, I don't know if it's there if it's really that their rent is that high or whatever, but the, the prices are just, just too much. You know, we're, we're all willing to pay a little bit more for a feature or, you know, something that has a little, sure little something extra. But the funny thing is, is that you talk about their rent, but they're literally across the street from a cornfield. Yeah. <laughs> like in, it's, in a house that appears to just be owned outright anyway. It's it's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which oh. a lot of people know what that is. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's actually it's in Intercourse, Pennsylvania. Intercourse, yeah. Yeah. Very no, Intercourse. Oh, is that that huge one? It's like the biggest knife store in America or whatever? I um, no. That, I, I don't know. There's so I thought yeah. there was some giant store in Pennsylvania. It's I mean as far as knives go, it's big. There's thousands of knives in one store. Yeah, I've heard so of this place. So it's definitely a big for a knife store, it's gigantic. Yeah, one sharp store. Well, it's going to be country nav. <laughs> um, but the thing that really like irked me about that place was when the guy was showing me the uh, the Nirvana. Oh, the Nirvana. Yes, oh my god. I mean, he was showing me the Nirvana. And he was like, "It's a steal. It's seven hundred and fifty dollars." And I was just, I looked at him in the face and I'd be like, "Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you serious? You want to sell me this knife for?" So you're, you're serious. You want me to give you $750 for this knife. All this was an internal monologue, of course. I didn't actually say this to the guy. <laughs> but it, it did sour me a little bit. You know, in case you didn't know, that knife is like, what, three, three, three something? Everywhere else? Yeah. It's Dave, you had one, four, right? It's 420. I still have it. Never four, carry it. But. 420. I mean, it's a nice knife and all. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to spend close to 1000 bucks on the thing. No, that's, that's like, like the MSRP, which... It's fucking pipe dreams. That's, if you think well, that's what they that's, that. that's what they use. That's they what they go, they just yeah. sell MSRP. Yeah, there's a local knife store to me, the one I was talking about with you, Levon, that is the only Chris Reeve dealer in New England, and also has this ridiculous collection of Randalls. But they sell Spider Coast at MSRP, and I went in there once, and I was like, uh, no, I don't actually want to buy anything. But of course, I'm the only person in there, so it was super fucking awkward. And I walk out with a ProTech Newport that I didn't want. It's it's one thing, <laughs> and it's one thing to. <laughs> Um, you know, have it that, you know, have the price that way, but don't insult the intelligence of someone that's actually aware of what's going on. Yeah, for real. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. was the, that was the thing that, that bothered me the most. It's like, I, yeah. I've been coming in here for years. You know, we talk about knives all the time. You know, I understand a little bit about what's going on. And then you're telling me that this Nirvana costs seven hundred and fifty dollars. If, if they had told you, if they had given you a half decent sob story about you know, needing to make money for some reason that had to do with the store or something like that. Your your 
absolutely you would have been a sucker for that and and maybe just just paid for it but the you know that attitude of the way they they went about it was what they've also scalped, they, they've also scalped every single uh zt limited edition that they were ever entitled to classic so not a one of them goes on the site they they get them sold for you know and more power to them i guess but you know it's a little bit strange but either way my point was that the, that fred eyes and leather in uh in new hope great guy to deal with he's he's known around here with a lot of uh a lot of the knife guys in Pennsylvania, you know, he does business with John Gray. He's uh, stock jewelry from people that I know who who make make jewelry and stuff like that. But he's on he's actually on Instagram. At, I think it's Fred Eyes and Leather. So let's give him some love for keeping that stuff alive, which I thought was really cool. Very cool. Chris and Elliot, do you guys have a local knife store that has ever tried to work with you? Or are you guys good with, you know, Blade HQ and Knife Center and whoever else you guys use as dealers? So, I mean, we would love to have a, a nice local knife store. Um, unfortunately, in San Diego, like, in the past, there had been some, but they've all kind of shut up and have gone their own ways. So we're we're kind of limited here. The mm. only thing we have is uh, is Nalpec Group, and the reason that they can actually stock knives in their showroom, and, and actually they sell our knives, too, from time to time, is because they have a vastly diversified product offering in other areas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're one of the few licensed Pelican case dealers in the country, and they actually get the majority of the revenue from their Pelican case work. So I, we, we are friends with the guy that runs it. Um, that's the guy that does San Diego Knives as well. Oh, right. So, so he's, a, he's a good friend of ours. And um, from time to time, whenever I have free time, which is almost never, I like to go down there and I basically raid his um, production knives. Don't tell him that. I, I steal shit from him. <laughs> I mean, borrow with the intent to totally return one day in the distant future. Mm-hmm. Sure. What, no, like, I mean, what go- really fantastic for, for me because I get to handle every production knife that comes out. And so I can see what production companies are up to. Sure. Um, where they're succeeding, where I need to do better as a quasi custom knife maker. And, um, yeah, that's the only place where I get really cool um, microtechs from, actually, because they're illegal here. That's, it's a, I mean, it's funny that you, you guys and Brian both pick the weirdest states to make knives in. <laughs> like, Brian's in New Jersey, and you're in California. What the hell are you guys doing? Insanity. Yeah, but uh, It's nuts. Uh, more power to you, as I said before. I think there are other benefits living in San Diego, <laughs> so... There's a couple. Yeah, there's, a couple. there's there's a lot of other benefits. Um, sure. And it was more of, we were here and then decided to start making knives. <laughs> of course. <laughs> which, I don't know which, you know, what part is crazier on our, on our end. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, I travel out there for work often enough, mostly in the uh, northern California for work from the Silicon Valley. And I just can't get over the cost of living out there. I mean, it's bad here in the Philadelphia area. But out there, I mean, it's a beautiful place. Don't get, get me wrong. I, I, it's wonderful. I just, I don't know if I could ever do it. Plus, like, I can't carry most of my knives, and that's kind of a bummer. I don't know what the knife laws are there, actually. It's like... So, really, the only thing that we're limited on is automatic knives. Mm. So, technically, my, uh, the Microtex, the UTX, the little tiny out the front, technically, that is illegal for me to carry here. Never stops me, but mm-hmm. it is the most adorable felony you've ever seen. <laughs> I thought you guys actually could carry. There were California legal autos too. There, there are. are. You know what's that funny? So, I say all this stuff now. Is here. Sorry. Pro- Protect Wait. knives is is about an hour and a half away from us, 
and uh, you know they make they make all kinds of autos. Oh right, sure. Most it's, of them are legal to carry in their state of manufacture. I always thought they looked really cool. And Dave, you said you just bought one, I, but I had bought one, yeah, in the past. But it's funny that I'm talking about like you know, and in Pennsylvania, I can't carry any auto whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I can carry I can carry a folding cold steel Talwar, which is like you know <laughs> six and a half inch blade, but I can't carry you know an Ultratech. Hot take: Autos are lame. I'll, I'll go out on the record and say uh, the vast majority of knife laws are stupid. They're Agreed. counterintuitive. They, you know, anybody that has a rule against a locking knife, uh, you know, I have to question a little bit. And statistically speaking, most crimes and violent crimes are committed with kitchen knives. Yep, totally. Which are not regulated at all. Neither are scissors. Mm-hmm. Which is two knives stuck together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my wife managed to get on a plane so, with a no, full size we, we definitely we feel the whole silly knife laws here because uh, i learned i still carry i carry the uh and jake does too i have the the little um the usn sprint run ladybug mm-hmm. do you guys yeah. know what i'm talking about that tiny little it's, a, it's an adorable little knife <laughs> sorry i think we were we were breaking up there for a bit so i only caught the yeah. last bit of what was happening but Jake, you were talking about what did Kate get on the plane with a pair, uh, pair yeah, of scissors? Yeah, well, you always like to to joke about how s- scissors have no regulation, and yet they're just two knives stuck together. And even uh, post whatever state of state of bright red we're in, uh, Kate was able to fly with a uh, like a full size pair of scissors <laughs> on her carry on. <laughs> and she's crazy. I don't know why they let her on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So, I don't know. The The whole thing is inconsistent and just doesn't make sense to me. But And Brian's never handled a knife that wasn't his own, so there's that. So it's not really an issue for him. And look. Listen, you're on my shit list. Don't be breaking my balls. <laughs> it just worked out that way. The only two pictures I had of you, you know, it was you had to be Padme Amidala. That's the only <laughs> way around it. You just had to be. I like how you didn't choose the one person with long hair who would have been the natural choice. I am very <laughs> appreciative of that, Levon. Thank you. Don't dig me any further into this ditch than I already have. Yeah, good point. Oh, so we get to some actual conversation here yeah. and maybe get yeah, something that's and talk about the main reason we're here today, and that's to talk about Ferrum Forge. Oh, we love Yay. talking about us. Yay. <laughs> So give us the lowdown. How did you guys get into this crazy industry? And what's your story? Holy shit. Are you ready? Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to start it up like that. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm very ready. Go. So the the basic story that I tell most people when they ask me that question, because I get asked a lot, because it's not like every guy you meet a knife maker. Um, I, I've been able to, to whittle it down over the years to hit some main talking points. So I have had a knife since I was four years old. Our grandpa, or he grew up during the, the Depression, and he grew up in, in Washington State, and he was on a farm, and like you just had a knife. Like, like That's just what you did. And so he used to do that with both Chris and I. So four years old was like his, his cutoff. Like four, now you can have a knife. Three and a half, no, no knife. But four. But four. We were definitely mature enough. So mature to have a knife at four. Mm-hmm. But like he wasn't, he like taught us how to not cut the shit out of ourselves and do terribly <laughs> destructive things, and you know laugh just, at us when we did cut ourselves. Yeah, you know, way to go, guys. Learning by experience. 
So I've had I've had knives uh, my entire life, and I've always been that guy who's got the knife. Hey, oh, you got your knife? You got to cut this thing open. Yeah, yeah, sure. As I kept getting older into my into my teens uh, and early twenties, uh, my knife taste was getting more and more expensive. Uh, back then, expensive was like hundred dollars. Sure. Woo! Watch out. I was kind of questioning, like, why why all of a sudden, like, am I looking at knives that are two hundred dollars, and why are they two hundred dollars? And so, thankfully, this was in the era of the internet, so I could uh, Google around and find out some of those reasons. And that actually led me to custom knives and custom knife makers and then, like, art knives. And in San Diego, uh, every two years, they have the Art Knife Invitational. And so I stumbled onto that and saw some of the crazy stuff that goes on in the Art Knife world. I went, holy shit, look at this crazy stuff. This is fascinating. And I was also doing a job where I was doing a lot of metal work, welding, working with metal all the time. And uh, I used to talk with one of my coworkers about, you know, wouldn't it be cool to be like make swords and shit? And be like, yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> wow. And then fast forward a couple of years, I was in my senior year at UCSD, and I ended up doing a research paper on the Iliad and the Odyssey uh, because there was a really strange. This is getting super geeky. There was That's a really very, strange. It's very metal. I approve. Keep going. <laughs> there was a very strange simile about the heat treatment of steel in a book that was supposed to be from the Bronze Age. And I went, that's that's crazy, because I've been doing research into metallurgy. And so I embarked on this big, giant research project uh, that was way too in-depth for the amount of credit I was getting for it. I would just like to point out that there's a debate among, like, five scholars in the world <laughs> about this particular, vicious. this particular thing. So don't feel bad if you've never heard of it or have no idea what the hell Elliot is talking about. It's the subject uh, of next the next podcast. Keep going. <laughs> so, uh, it was it was it was crazy. So I ended up doing all of this research into metallurgy and archaeometallurgy. I actually got invited to be in the master's program at UCSD's archaeometallurgy program because they were like, "Who is this freaking guy? Who knew that there was such thing yeah, as archaeometallurgy program?" Well, I I imagine there's not that many people into it because they were like, "Hey, why don't you come be in the graduate program?" <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the greatest student of all time. Anyway. Uh, at this time, I also had uh, I had a house and I had a garage, and I had, uh, for some ungodly reason, started forging stuff. That's where our name comes from. I, I began my knife-making journey forging out pieces of steel like a dumbass. And it didn't take me long to realize that um, while they may have done that three, 4,000 years ago to make a knife, that there was no need to do that now in the modern era. And it yep. was a, very loud and dirty and really expensive to do, actually. It's so, hazardous to your health. Yeah, bad for you. Real bad. Mm -hmm. And this was also in a residential area, so my neighbors were um, often curious and what in the hell I was doing. Oh, should we let everybody know that you also don't keep normal like waking and sleeping hours? That's so, probably good. Um, so a lot of this was occurring at early hours of the morning when Elliot was awake. <laughs> for I have no idea what reason you were awake. I feel like we all went through that. Like, I'm just gathering that you guys are in the same age bracket as me. I'm 33. And I feel like I had that. I used to run a graphic design business, and I think I only was awake at hours that no one else was. So I don't think you're alone on that. Thank you. It's nice to feel not so alone. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, Elliot, you're, what, 33? No. 34, thank you. 34? Whatever. I was going to give you a year. Uh <laughs> I'm 27, so you know we are fairly young guys, especially for knife makers. We're on the younger side. Um, 
I never went through that particular not sleeping phase of my life. Yeah, but you are the oldest 27-year-old I know. You're like 50 inside. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm the responsible one. It's very true. He totally is a responsible one. I'm the conscious of Ferris Forge. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it all makes sense now with my, the relationship I have with my brother. That's exactly the same. You guys are touching me from like on the inside right now. I'm glad I don't me. want to touch you. Some, on the inside, somebody dude. take that sound bite, please. It could be please done. Flip that. Oh God. So the the rest of the story is is pretty. I don't know, maybe knife maker standard. I don't know. So I started changing the way I did things. I built grinders and started grinding stuff instead of forging it. And then by like 2012, I was like, I'm going to make a folding knife. Yeah. And I made the first folding knife I ever, and it was fucking terrible. And uh, once you start down the dark, dark path, forever will dominate your destiny. Nice. Um, well done. I kept, I kept trying and they got a little bit better. And then by like, by like August of 2012, I had this big giant order books, and I was like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta make some changes in my life, and so uh, I quit everything else I was doing and became a full-time knife maker. And then in 2013, we moved in the shop that we're in currently, and we became uh, like a real big boy business, kinda, sorta, not really. We masquerade. When did you guys get the Jim Skelton bump? Because I feel like that was right about that period, and that's when I really started hearing about you guys, and probably most of our listeners first became familiar with you guys at that point. Well, I had I had known Jim um, because we both made YouTube videos. Mine were way shittier than his. In fact, you can go on our YouTube page and go way, way down to the bottom and see some of the early videos that's just me Ooh. monologuing in my garage. They're atrocious and by monologue we mean mumbling into a camera it's brutal <laughs> every now and then i'll go back and click on them i'm like whoa whoa what was i doing and the knives i was making whoa what was i making oh lord but um hey, we all gotta start somewhere bro it's true no that's i mean that's further than i ever got with anything yeah my like my early youtube videos are incredibly cringeworthy <laughs> <laughs> cringe were more cringeworthy than you are now uh not much better <laughs> So right as we were getting into like our first, what you could call it a mid-tech run, I just called it trying to make a knife at a cheaper price point. Uh, the Predium, one of my greatest failures as a knife maker. Um, right as we were making that run, that's when I started to get to know Jim a little bit better. And we used to chit-chat every now and then. And I think I had made a folder out of SM100 that was, for me personally, and he just kept bugging me about it. He's like, dude, dude, let me get that, let me get that knife, bro. And I'm like, fine, fine, I'll sell you this stupid knife. And we were real poor back then, so I needed the money. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's probably that's the first knife I think he got of ours. And then he talked me into making a really special Predium number 100 for him, uh, which is by far the best Predium of all. Uh, yeah, I'd like to go back to something you said earlier. Your, your greatest failure as a knife maker, care to elaborate on why the Predium was so bad? <laughs> <laughs> So that was what I would like to call our trial by fire period. Well, I'm going to go ahead and disagree here and say that that wasn't a failure. It's just now, a couple years after the fact, for it, with what we're making now, we look back on that and we go, oh, my goodness, what? what, what? <laughs> you know, but it was a very important stepping stone, so I can't ever chalk it up as a failure. This is knife maker, designer Elliot, you know, being critical of himself. It's pretty fair. It's pretty fair. I'm a little, a little judgmental of myself. <laughs> Um, we're so critical of ourselves. We this have was, to be. It was my trial by fire. So we moved into this, you know, nice new fancy shop, and I had a little bit of capital with which to work with. And I said, "All right, here's what we're gonna do. 
we're going to get CAD software. I'm going to design stuff in CAD for the first time. And then we're going to cut out the blanks by water jet. And then we're going to machine them on a, on a mill that I'm going to buy. And we're going to have a CNC. And I'm going to run that thing all at the same time. Huh. Having no formal training in any of that. And so the knives that were produced in that were uh, experimental. That's a nice word. Experimental. Mm-hmm. But it taught me so many things. Uh, Trial in, by fire. In running a CNC for a year, I learned exactly the things that I would want to do and the things that I would definitely not ever want to do. And it affected the. It, it still affects the way that I design knives today. Uh, always conscious of runtime. Always conscious of the size of bit that's going to be used to doing any given feature. And the machine shop that we use currently, they very much appreciate that because I never design anything for them that I wouldn't want to run on a CNC myself. It's it's interesting to me because you guys uh, have a very high tech, you know, way of making knives. Now you guys have embraced that, and I personally love it. I think it's phenomenal. Um, but something that you guys do very well that I've seen a lot of of makers who utilize CNC, uh, they're not able to get the sort of combination of that high tech uh, look and organic stuff going on when and i see that a lot in the maker's choice line where you guys are you know experimenting a lot with with finishes and sculpture really which normally i think just has a bad contrast on knives but you guys seem to make it work so how did that stuff come about one of the things that i've always enjoyed doing and if you if you Google around and dig way, way back. Uh, sometimes Arizona Custom Knives can be a good website resource for that because they have some of my... Oh, sure. They, they keep all of their pictures on there. And so they have some of my earliest, earliest knives. And there's always, in that old stuff, the my first attempts at, at carving titanium. Like it's, it's there. It's usually quite terrible, but it's there. And it's just something that I was always fascinated by. Um, if you're familiar with Corf Cutlery... Um, Rick Lala is the knife maker and then he has a nephew Rudy Lala who does the titanium mm-hmm. carve work mm-hmm. on some of their pieces and that was one of the, the the knife makers that I found early on and saw that Rudy Lala's titanium carving and was just blown away by it since I had tried to do stuff in titanium I knew how difficult it was and I, I there was while I would say in kind of a schizophrenic way, we're, we're both, we try to be a, a good business that runs on, on good solid business principles. We try to be as embracing of technology as we can as knife makers. But there's this third component, which is also the artistic side that we mm-hmm. have. Um, and so I, I've always looked for ways to sort of incorporate that into what we're doing. And for Maker's Choice in specific, like that, that came about completely organically. We had a couple of, of really good customers who just said, hey, man, what if I just pay you like a bunch of money and then you just <laughs> do whatever you want and go crazy on it? And we said, all right. Okay. Sounds fun. <laughs> and that, that is where it came from because he literally said it'll be like the Maker's Choice, man. And that is how it happened. And then it's evolved over the past couple of years where now it is it, – I mean, we, we had to limit it to, to 10 pieces a run, which never actually ends up happening. It's always ended up being a little bit more. I was uh, going to ask how that actually works, too. I Because I was like looking at the, the new, um, what's the new model called? It's an XL version of a knife. The Stinger. The Stinger. 
Yeah, the thing is freaking mm. gorgeous. And I'm thinking to myself, I kind of want an alien penis looking one. <laughs> <laughs> I so I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I read the you have a, a biomechanical theme going on with this. And I'm just thinking, oh, a little Geiger theme going on. I'm into yeah, it. Whoa. H.R. Geiger is one of my my artistic guilty pleasures, oh, and and then like I watched the the um the documentary Dark Star. Um, oh my god! Last year I did that, dude, with the guy from Celtic Frost, Tom G. Warrior. Oh my god, that was amazing. And yeah. I, I I I was even then I became even more fascinated because then it it, it brought me into not just like his work in Hollywood but his oh, other work. Yeah. <laughs> And and since then, like Geiger haunts my artistic dreams, and so I can't get away from it. And in everything, no matter what the the theme for the maker's choice is, I always end up doing a couple of pieces that are very very Geiger feeling. Um, and so I kind of I have to like fight it. Like I'm like, no, no, this is not that. No, stop, stop carving Geiger shit right now. We're we're I'm supposed to be doing aquatic life or. <laughs> something or something else and and i can't i can't get away from it and so uh, for this one i'm just giving in i'm saying you know what We're, i'm just doing it it's all gonna be guy you're inspired it's actually really funny because um i have a similar story I, I used to do album covers for heavy metal bands and that's where <laughs> my whole like shtick came from right but the whole thing with album covers is like everything's trying to be hr geiger right and the whole idea you know, as much as I, you know, I'm a huge Hans Rudy fan. I love H.R. Geiger. But the, the thing is, is that when you start to do it in an album cover, it becomes trite. You know, it looks like something like, of course, you're going to do skulls and, and women with, with tits, you know, as mm -hmm. if they don't have them. But <laughs> but you kind of have to stay away from the Geiger look in that industry, right? And it's funny because now it's it's great to hear someone that's really embracing that uh, that love for that style and and going for it in a, in a really cool way. And you bring up a good point. And one of the things that we always struggle with when we're doing these carvings and various finishes and as we're experimenting with, you know, giving the knife a, a different look than just a, what you would, you know, preconceive a knife to look like uh, is that it's hard to make things look you know, good and elegant and, you know, really like a piece of art without making it look cartoony and plasticky and kind of uh, cheesy looking. So it's, it's some, it's a balance. We're always, we're always very aware of that in, in every aspect, whether it be what Elliot is carving in the, into the titanium or what sort of color patterns and finish, you know, different textures, glosses and mats and different things like that within the carving that Elliot does is, to not make it look cheesy and cartoonish. And it's wow. something I think that Elliot has really, really, you know, over the years I've seen his carving go from like, oh, those are some cool patterns and textures you've put on there to full on, you know, a, a three-dimensional piece with, you know, like rib bones and alien heads and you name it. Um, that, you know, I've, I've been impressed with it and it's really inspired me to step up my finish game with it. Because, you know, for, for people who don't know, Elliot on the Maker's Choice, Elliot does all of the carving stuff. That's his happy spot. And he puts in his headphones and his earmuffs on, and he just carves away. He, he just goes for it, and you can tell he's happy doing it. And then he gives it to me, and he's like, I want colors on this. <laughs> and I'm like, do you have a little more of a uh, like an, a vision for, for what this is, <laughs> is? Is there something 
that you want to incorporate into it. He's like, uh, colors. Okay, well, let's do this then. <laughs> Beyond what's in the titanium anodizing spectrum, which of course everybody wants. You know, they want, you know, Brian, you can speak to that, right? People ordering colors that don't exist. <laughs> of course, all the time. It's, uh, I, you know, the ones that bother me now, though, are the flesh tone colors and stuff that I've had to do lately. I think this is the third podcast in a row now that we've complained about anodizing. <laughs> I, I'm glad it's a theme. It's, it's again, it's, yeah, it's again, continuity, man. It, it gets tricky. <laughs> so you, it, it, so that got you guys. I, I'm sorry. I just want to touch more on this part. Yeah. The, uh, the idea that you guys are using a lot of coatings and things like that and experimenting with that sort of thing is really neat. Well, over the, so, you know, right off the bat, when I came into the business full time in, uh, it was 2014. I, I'm pretty sure that's when I hired Yeah. You. 2014 is when I had said, Hey, I can pay you. And I was like, okay, I don't need to be running production. I was running production for a shop that made window shades. Uh, specialty window shades and he was like he's like hey dude i can pay you you want to come over and basically run production for me and you know help make knives and things like that and at this point in time i had been coming in on the weekends when he was still in the garage and just kind of putzing around he was teaching me some basic stuff about grinding and metallurgy and and things like that and it was fun we had you know brother hangout time in the garage on the weekends and then once we moved into the, the space and was like, hey, this is a real thing. Um, I can pay you and I'll give you a little bit of the company. I was like, oh, hell yes. <laughs> what? When do you want me to start? That's um, awesome. And the, the part of, of the knife making, specifically with titanium, that I was drawn to right off the bat was anodizing. There's something about being able to pass electric current through a piece of titanium and electrolyte solution and creating colors out of it that I was like, this is awesome. I love this. I want to get good at this. It's basically magic. Yeah, it's basically magic. Sorcery. And that's, Elliot was like, go, fly free, do what you will, run with it. And now after you know three, four years of doing that, you know the, the simple colors, I remember a couple of years ago when – I was finally able to get green consistently and it was like the most amazing thing in the world. I was like, I can make a consistent green. Let's offer green as an anode. And then from there, as I started learning more, gaining more experience, anodizing, you know, at this point I've anodized thousands of knife scales. So, you know, and in each one you, you got to learn along the way. And then once I started doing all this carving stuff, that's what kicked my butt into gear of like, Hey, you need to figure some more stuff out. And especially as he was coming into the Geiger stuff, you know, all the Geiger sort of alien theme things, they're all black. You know, they have a very dark mm -hmm. base to them. Um, and then one of the things that we discovered with that is by, you know, selectively removing the coating in certain places or masking off or tumbling, we can add in more color to create more depth within one single piece of titanium. Um, and then once it, it became sort of like a paradigm that we could operate off of, it was like, you know what, let's find out what else we can do. And that's really why I think why we enjoy the Maker's Choice so much is because that's where we get to try different things, where we can incorporate, you know, where I have like polished anodized titanium aspects on a scale with black coated stuff, with matte finished things so that rather than just like it all looking uniform, you have this full 3D texture that is both tactile and visual. Yeah, it's pretty. So 
I mean, the stuff I've seen is, and it's, and I've actually in the time I've been into knives and you guys have been around, I've seen the progression. You know, it's really cool to see a maker get from, you know, they were always nice knives, but now when I see some of these newer uh, Maker's Choice models, I'm like, God damn, this stuff is awesome looking. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate I, I, you know, it. Think we worked very hard for that. It's it's the metal thing, you know. It's it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then out of the maker's choice have spawned some of our our new standard finishes that we have. You know, uh, like we have our Poseidon, our Statue of Liberty finishes, which are a two tone anno. Um, you know, we have our our new dark matter series of finishes, which are all based off of black coating with different color accent pieces to it. To you know, because we really want to present knives like they've never been presented before. You know, it's one thing to do a gray blasted slab; it's a very classic look, and we still sell a lot of those. You know, we hear it a lot of people are like, "Oh, the gray slab titanium is done," and people still order them from us, which I have no problem with. But at the same time, we also want to show, you know, titanium because it has so many colors, it has so many, so much potential, making finishes and combining colors and things like that. We just had to go for it. So artistic, bro. I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> I know Dave has some questions for you, but um, I wanted to segue into that by talking about you guys have talked a lot about the high end stuff that you guys are are able to produce and the stuff that keeps you guys passionate about the about the community, about the about the work that you're doing. But you guys just went into a, a new direction where you've partnered with Mass Drop, and you're offering a very affordable knife. So uh, what's the story and how did that come to play? So, I mean, when we very, like Elliot was talking about the Predium and how he did that because, you know, we understand that the cost of custom knives can be outrageous. You know, that, you know, we've seen very pretty basic frame, you know, titanium frame lock knives that are going for over Mm $2,000 because they're custom. And we're like, you know, we get that and we can't afford that kind of custom knife. So, and like Elliot was saying, he started making knives because he wanted to carry a better knife. We said, well, wait a minute. We can make, you know, a, a knife that has all the same quality aspects you would expect in a custom knife. It flips well. The action is good. The lockup is solid. All of these things. But we want to offer it at a, a more reasonable price point, you know, that, that people can actually buy and not feel guilty about using, things like that. And that was where the Predium, and that was right when the whole mid-tech, I say that in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we dislike the term mid-tech uh, because it's it's gained so many connotations that are outside of Ken Onion's original definition of it. Yeah, the term is, like, meaningless now. Yeah, it, it's become pretty uh, diluted over the years. Small batch production. Yeah, I mean, it's small batch production. So... You know, our goal has always been, you know, we want to put out a very high quality knife, but we want to make sure that people can actually buy that knife and that they will, they'll want to carry it all the time. and They'll want to use it because we want to make a very good tool that's going to last for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's important to us. We destroy everything. Like we're, we're very destruction prone human beings. So, you know, every, every knife that we build and we design is designed to stand up to us. You know, I call Elliot my donk. <laughs> um, sometimes when I need stuff smashed, it's like, "Hey, I need you to break this," and he goes, "Okay." And two seconds later, it's in a million pieces. Smithereens, smithereens, yes. Nice. So the the Falcon in our project with Mass Drop is really just a continuation of us. You know, we want to provide the most value we can to customers. And now that we have 
years and thousands of knives built. We have all that experience and that we can put that into a design. You know, Elliot's been doing everything in CAD. Everything is, you know, a 3D CAD model. Um, we, that was part of what we wanted to do. And now with Mastrop uh, and our, our collaboration that we're doing with them and with We Knives is we can offer that knife finally at something that, that it's a knife that we can afford, um, which is which is a big deal for us. And it, good. I was just gonna say the price the price that you guys were able to land on is I mean, if you Phenomenal. told me that yeah, like if you told me that you know in 2012 that you get a titanium frame lock that is made to that caliber for $125, you know, our heads would have exploded. <laughs> if you would have told that to us, we would, we'd have been like, no way, not a chance. That There's no way that's possible. One of the specific perks of, of partnering with Mastrop is that it, it enabled that knife design to have a guaranteed production number that, was, that enabled us to get that kind of a price point on it. Gotcha. I mean, the, the idea of using an overseas manufacturer is one that we have been tossing back and forth since, I don't know, like 2014, 15. It's always been something that we've thought about. Uh, We know a lot of people in a lot of other industries. Um, Some of them are family members. Some of them are people we come in contact with through the knife world. Um, And we know that producing things in the U.S. is, is expensive. We know that firsthand and from all the anecdotes that we hear from other companies that, that are trying to do high quality work. Uh, we also know a lot of people in aerospace and they had a whole bunch of warnings about you know using overseas outsource. There's, there's a lot of pitfalls. And when one of our better customers, you know, a guy that spends a lot of money with us a year, was a local guy, came in, brought me a Wii 601 and he's left-handed so he wanted me to flip the clip to the other side. <laughs> and we do that for him because we love him. And so I had that knife apart. Screws. Didn't you have to get past a star-shaped screw to get to that pocket clip? I wonder he came. Well, they, they, yeah. Well, they come with their own driver, which I'm was just... also challenging to work with. I'm not gonna lie. I chopped it up <laughs> in the drill for sure. Yep, I have one of those. <laughs> but in, in taking that knife apart and seeing all the all the internal mechanics that were in it, all the the tolerancing and the machining, and I was very impressed. And by that point in time, I, I already had discussions with uh, David Dang at Riot. 2015 at Blade Show, and I liked the work they were doing. Oh, yeah. That was also when Todd Big Knives launched the Steelcraft series, and so like in the same day, like I well, it wasn't the same day because I had dinner and then the next day. So <laughs> within a 24-hour period, right? I was like, oh, maybe Riot could be a, a thing for us. And then I hear that 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 Beg's going to do you know some ungodly amount of units with them for the Steelcraft series. I'm like, oh well, looks like they're they're going to be tied up for a while. Which, in fact, they were. You know, an original lead time that was supposed to be like three months turned into six months and then nine months. And I was like, okay, yeah, we can't uh, we can't make that work. I, I'm not that good. So did so, you guys have uh, – I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but did you guys approach We Knives? Did they approach you? Is that I mean, that's probably where you're going with this story. Or did Mastrop approach you guys first? Like how did – what is the this love triangle? How did it begin? It's a really fun love triangle. So I actually approach We Knives first, just getting a feel for them. I mean, I ask a bunch of very probing questions. <laughs> Any manufacturer that comes across our radar, Elliot then goes through and vets significantly. 
where it's not just like, hey, can you make this for us? You know, it, it's digging into what kind of software they're running, what kind of machines they have, you know, uh, what sort of access to materials and tooling and, you know, all the stuff that we have learned manufacturing knives for ourselves, we go through and we make sure that they have all of that in place so that we know we're going to get a, a good product at the end of the day. And there are just some questions that you can ask a manufacturer. And if they don't have the answer right away, then that means that they don't know. Right. Um, but we, uh, we knife, I have to call it we knife company because then it's just too many we's. Contractually so obligated like <laughs> Luke Skywalker's beard. <laughs> No, it just gets really, really crazy. Like we tried to do a, we did the the sort of the product video for the Falcon with Mashrop. They sent a, a, a film team down here, which was fun. <laughs> they were like, hey, can you make sure that you do not say we as <laughs> we knife company? Can you call it we knife company? Because there's stuff where you're going to end up saying we, we, we. <laughs> yeah. How, how was that? Because it looked we have a, a rule little forced. Again, saying we, we too much. <laughs> oh, too much. Gosh. Wee wee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but, uh, I, I contacted them and, and ran through a bunch of questions and they had good answers to all my questions. I mean, I asked them specifically like things like, what is the smallest ML that you use? What RPM do you run it at? I mean, the questions that they didn't get from other people. Wow. And then I always want to know uh, software is a big deal. I want to know what software they're running for both CAM and for CAD. How much how much loss I'm going to have when they, they convert one of my 3D CAD files into their CAM system, things like that. Um, and they answered all my questions well, and I was, I was pretty excited. To, there's a little bit of language barrier, for sure, that we run into that can be really fun from time to time. <laughs> um, I learned that in in Mandarin, the word is the word is the word, where in English, we can change words. So um, we can make a verb into a noun quite easily. Let me just clarify, Elliot is an English manager. I was going to say, uh, is this grammar time with Ferrum Forge? It's, so, it's okay, I'm he, a psycholinguist, he, so this is right up my alley. He, oh, he God, I'm going to fall asleep. getting into these sorts of things. So, I mean, you can tell him to shut up and move on. If no, you want no to. by so all means, mm-hmm. this is your time. Your soapbox is here. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Get ready, boys and girls. Brevity, um, bro. So, like, I had used a, a, a verb that I turned into a noun. Um, so I had a gerund and, and I put that as a file name and they were very, very confused by it. They're like, what do you, what do you mean we're venting it? What, what, how, we, how do we vent titanium? Is this something we don't know? I'm like, no, it's just a name. It's just a name, guys. Calm down. Calm down. Oh, but, that's classic. But in, in, uh, in going back and forth with the, the Falcon in specific, since it was the, the first one that I kind of figured, you know, this is the one, it's a, a small size. I wanted to have as low a price point as possible. There's no way that we can do it ourselves. We need we need some manufacturing help on this thing, uh, and so it was something we were, we Knife Co. and I were discussing in email, um, and then we have a relationship with Mastrop. They've sold our knives before. We like their head purchaser a lot. He's very fun, very funny, and we were just shooting the shit on a, on a call one day, and I was telling you about this crazy idea I had of of launching a Ferrum Forge import brand. But I was having problems because I wanted to do it on Kickstarter. And all the marketing companies that work for Kickstarter or with Kickstarter, they all want to use Facebook to do their marketing. Facebook has a real problem with knives. And so the ability to market that knife to a large audience and then make it worth our while to actually do the project was going to be really challenging. And so I was telling him my woes. And he goes, wait a minute, dude. 
Mastrob wants to have its own knife brand. And I went, really? Go on. He goes, dude, what if he's a California guy too? He goes, dude, what if, what if we were to all sort of join, join powers here? He's like, then you get Mastrop's purchasing power. You get our marketing and sales ability. And like, we, we can create something that's completely like new in the, in the knife buying paradigm where you have, uh, a custom knife maker partnering with a manufacturer, partnering with a, a platform. And we can create this, this thing that, that really hasn't existed before. And we got really excited about it. It's, it's very, mm-hmm. so us as millennials, you know, we got very excited about it. Cause we're like, this is, this is the confluence of all the things that we love, right? It's, it's the modern manufacturing with 3d CAD, all of that, uh, master off their platform. They call it community commerce. Uh, cause they're all about their enthusiast communities. Um, so they, they had the marketing, they had a lot of good data for to say to help us make decisions design wise and things like that. Um, and then we had the, the quality of the manufacturing they were seeing from we knives and we know that they need a little help with the designs. Um, <laughs> some of them are questionable, a little out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The you know we look at it and we're like ooh guys uh, you missed it a little bit there. They're some of them are very sort of Chinese to me in that they're overly embellished. Kaiser did the same thing when they first hit the U.S. market, and we nice. They love still their bright purples it. and greens. Yeah, they love those. They, people buy that here too, so I can't complain about that. But the weird mm-hmm. milling and just like mm-hmm. too much milling, yeah, that's that's very screams very like Chinesey trying to appeal to an American mm-hmm. audience. Chinesey. Chinesey. I also so. want to set the record straight. You know, us in this, uh, you know, if you're in your late 20s and early 30s, Jake will have something to say about this too. But I'd like to say that we're only 49% millennial. Because. <laughs> mm-hmm. you're, yes, you're. Right, we're uh, the cool millennials, as not a, the shitty ones. Yeah. Right. It's like business sense, interpersonal communication, all that stuff. I don't really associate that with the. Yeah, well, we don't claim you either, Levon, so. You'd be surprised. (laughs) But apparently, along with anodizing color, we're going to make the millennial joke every episode now, too. I didn't remember (laughs) any other millennial. It's going to happen. You did it last episode, too. Oh, did I? It's fine. Fine. We're used to it. Continuity. Yeah. Right. So so we had this, this opportunity, and we had these two strategic partners that were really. It allowed everybody to maximize what they were the best at. So Mastrop, you know, they were the best at, uh, you know, interfacing with the community members and, and presenting a product out there that people are actually going to like and they're going to want. And because of their larger buying power and going directly to the manufacturer, we were able to offer this at a lower price than we could if, you know, let's say that we decided to kind of go a distributor route where there'd have to be markup, 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 markup along the way for each person or each entity involved to get their little slice along the way. We said, this is the age of the internet. We don't need all these middle people you know, along the way. We just have the manufacturer, the designer, and the retailer. And you know, they, they're reaching, because one of the things that Elliot and I want to do is we do want to introduce high-end and custom knives to a younger audience. You know, like we were the examples where we didn't even know custom knives were a thing until Elliot started asking a bunch of questions and digging a little deeper into these things is that it was like, you know, I remember when he told me, he's like, dude, I'm making knives in my garage that at first I went, what you're making 
you can do that in your garage? And then, of course, it's like, duh, duh, you can do it in your garage. We've been doing this for thousands <laughs> of years as humans. Like, why couldn't Elliot make a knife in his garage? It's amazing. So, you know, we it's a it, it was a such a great opportunity for us to be, you know, knife makers of the 21st century and strategic partnerships that that allow each individual entity to maximize their strengths and we can all come together to create something that has never been seen before and uh we are all about that can you take it easy with the gesticulation you almost ripped the thing out of my ear <laughs> no i can't he's talking with his hands over here you guys I are really sharing headphones aren't you yeah we, we are we really are <laughs> so romantic <laughs> we're brothers like that so you know if anybody wants to sponsor us for like a microphone setup or something that'd be cool <laughs> i sent you guys a link to like an awesome Real, that's the one I'm working with. Well, same awesome. here. Let, let me rephrase. People need to buy more knives so that we can afford a microphone. Oh, very nice. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Well played. We need to start a collection for for Ferrum Forge's microphone. It's like GoFundMe. You heard it here first. <laughs> if you're tired of listening to Elliot mumble, <laughs> help us get a microphone and another pair of an extra pair of Apple headphones or something. <laughs> if god. you if you'll allow me to intercede, I actually have. Time for the tough questions about the mass drop thing. Oh, God, so, yes. Are you guys ready? Oh, yeah. Boy. Okay, so my first one, you said that one of the advantages is that you can leverage mass drop's marketing power. So probably the most prominent marketing that has ever gone on for any knife ever was the ad placement in the recent Bro Science Life YouTube video <laughs> uh, where um, Mike Tornabene, which is the name of the guy that plays the character Don Mazzetti, uh, endorses mm -hmm. mass drop and has a Ferrum Forge Falcon in it. However, that channel is known for if one it satirizes both gym culture and also the exercise people who make YouTube videos. So it's sort of a satire of YouTube. And one of the things that is satirical about the channel is the approach to advertising. So very often the character Dom will just take on anything and will give it a, a shitty endorsement just to make money. And so the way that your knife was incorporated was about stabbing people. And it's, it was something that I think grabbed and people's oysters. attention. Yeah. It grabbed people's attention, and this is probably the biggest spot that any knife will ever get, and it portrayed it in a sort of stereotypical image. So did you guys have input on that? Did you want it to be about stabbing people, or was that <laughs> just kind of mass drop, or was that Dom Azzetti? no. I, I have to, to assume that was that was Dom. Um, it's a question we, you know, for, because it happens a lot where we get to talking with people, and, you know, they're like, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, you know me and my brother we own our own company we make knives and aside from oh what kind of knives is usually the follow-up question we get like what are you gonna do stab someone with that yep um i do a lot of stabbing people yeah. and that's where we come back to our statistic that uh, most stabbings occur with kitchen knives because everybody has kitchen knives yeah um you know yeah it is a little bit stereotypical and you know i think i have to assume and this might be a bad assumption that most people are understanding the satire of that page. Like an ass out of you and me. No, <laughs> no, no, maybe. Depends. How much am I getting paid for it? But to answer your question, uh, we One didn't. Uh, we didn't get any um, say into what any of the marketing was going to be like. Okay. We left that completely up to Mashup, and so they did whatever the hell they wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, it was... but granted, I got a chuckle out of it. It was definitely funny, and uh, it worked in the character, but, you know, it didn't really actually tell you much about the Falcon itself, but I, I, I like knowing that at least a famous YouTuber has one of your knives. <laughs> All right. 
Just YouTuber. So that was tough question number one. Are you ready for tough question number two? Okay. All right. He has so these written down. I, I do have these written down. I like to think about these things. I, I don't want to waste your time here. <laughs> so my question is about the sort of long-term impact of your collaboration. So it sounds awesome, and I think it is going to be awesome for the consumers who are going to get a Wii Knives produced knife. I have three of them, and they're fantastic. I think they're awesome. So I think people will be very satisfied with it. And then, obviously, your designs are a little bit cleaner and more elegant well, and than that's, what they do. That's really one of the main reasons we decided to go partner with them for the manufacturer is the quality was there. Okay, so this is a two-part question. So uh, I just want to get your input, whatever you think, uh, in response to these prompts. So, wow, that sounds like an exam. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I, I promise it's more casual. So for me, uh, looking at this for what's going to happen to Wii Knives, um, one thing that I'm curious about is, so it shows their customers that they can make a knife for $125 and split those profits between three people and still make enough money to make this work. So if this knife is not of any less quality than some of their other knives, and it doesn't appear to be any less complicated than some of their other knives, do you think people are going to be less willing to buy their 250 to $300 models now that sort of the curtain's been pulled back, you know, like in The Wizard of Oz, once you see that the wizard is just a guy, or when you find out that Chinese knives can be produced at a much lower price point than they are being sold while still making money? Um, do you think that's going to scare people off from Wii's knives in the future? I certainly hope not, since I actually do have a design that I did just for them. <laughs> hope people yeah. that one. There's um, that. Well, this is actually a vastly more complicated and deeper question than maybe you were thinking. Probably. So, because I know a little bit more about the way that we uh, manufacturers and the quantities that they manufacture their own brand in, um, their own brand knives are fairly low quantity. Um, they don't make a whole bunch of any given model that they're doing. They, they have, in that regard, they have a little similar business strategy to, to, as we do. Where you know they make a, a certain amount of the of any given design, then they move to the next one. Um, so there is a, a in manufacturing. There's always quantity is always the quantity is almost the king in terms of determining a price point for any given product. Mm -hmm. So they're also going to put more finish work into their own brand stuff than they are in the in the Mass Forge brand, just because well that's what I've told them to mm -hmm. do. You, you were discussing all of the, the machining that goes in, and one thing that we've learned is the biggest cost of, of an, especially a full titanium knife is the machining that goes in. Runtime is the biggest cost. Um, so when you see all those little scallops, when you see a lot more of detailed machine work in the scales, that's all adding you know potentially hours of runtime onto it. So you know we can't say, you know we can't come out and say like, you know, it costs the same to make a Falcon as it does, you know, a 601 or something. So what's interesting about that is, and to Dave's point, how about on the, on the other side of it? Do you think that a project like this could have some unwanted effects on your, on your brand as it is? Because I, last year was a tough year. I mean, Brian and I were talking too. It was <laughs> a tough year for knife makers. And in mm -hmm. your price range, you know, in that 500 to just under a thousand dollar price point, there's a lot of competition there now. And it was a very rough year. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. you, for, uh, I'll be honest with you. We shed 30% of our revenue in 2016. Damn. That's a, a third of our revenue disappeared in 2016. It was a very, very challenging year. We are still feeling the effects of 2016 right now. 
Um, this was one of the things that motivated, motivated us to get our asses in gear and start a project like the Falcon and the subsequent knives that are going to come after it in the Mass Ford brand. Um, because we knew that we had to reach other people. That the, the core group of consumers that had been purchasing our knives in the past, um, their attention was somewhere else or they didn't have the money to buy them anymore or whatever the economic factor was. And then we also look internally and say, well, what are we doing that we can do better? You know, how can we make our knives more interesting? How can we give more at the price point? So it's not, you know, and it's good to hear that sort of side of things too, because we're not talking, because a lot of times when I see makers, you know, partner heavily with an overseas manufacturer, it's got this, more of this, we, if we can't beat them, let's join them sort of, sort of thing going on. And it sounds a lot more optimistic from your point of view. Well, one of the other things that I like to, you know, remind people of is that, that yeah, we're having, we have an overseas manufacturing partner, but the majority of the money that is being created with that product is going right back to American companies, specifically us. So we're, it's not like we're just taking that master up money, as we like to call it, and going off and buying a yacht or something. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> it's all getting reinvested back into Fair and Forge. There ain't so that, that can, much money, <laughs> first off. <laughs> Sure. So that we can, I don't know, hire employees. Hire an employee. <laughs> Makes sense. It's, you know, it's been, it's just been the two of us for three years, over three years now. And uh, we've learned over the years what our strengths and weaknesses are and, you know, what we are good at, at doing within our company and things that we're not that good at doing where we can strengthen Fair and Forge as a company by hiring in the right people to, to help us out, you know, whether that be on the, the marketing side, the administrative side, uh, if we find somebody that we can actually train up properly and trust to work on the knives that we're putting our name on, uh, you know, that's kind of farther out. You know, there's a lot of the, the nitty gritty of running a business that, you know, Ellie and I would like to stay more focused on making knives because that's what our strength is. The, the day-to-day of, you know, responding to emails and making sure that that this knife got shipped and this knife is coming in and this dealer wants this and all of these little things that it's very hard for me and Elliot to keep track of all of that while we're also doing all of the production, doing all of the marketing stuff for it, doing our YouTube channel, doing Instagram, doing all of this. Uh, you know, we're not... To, we're arrogant guys, I'll admit that, but we're not so arrogant to know that we need help. Um, sure. So, and that's one of the, the things that as we were planning out in the future of Ferrum Forge was we know we need to bring in some employees. We need to bring in help that is going to end up making Ferrum Forge a better brand moving forward. It's a great attitude. I actually, you know, getting, let's go on a more optimistic tone. I think what you guys are doing with the Stinger XL, your new model, and this will give you guys a chance to plug that the 475 <laughs> price point, $475 yeah. for that is really competitive. And I, I think that was a brilliant move on your part, especially cause it's such an awesome design. It's personally probably one of my favorite of your designs. It's very like sleek, very minimalist. It's something I really like. So do you guys want to talk about that and maybe talk about that price point? Cause that is huge. Uh, you know, coming in that low for a big knife that is going to have what 20 CV so or the, an M390 yeah. analog of some sort. 20 so one of the things that, that I've said before in videos when we were discussing small knives that we made in like 2015 
right? They have the same like five hundred ish dollar price point that our three and a half and slightly over three and a half inch knives had. And people were like, "Well, how come? Because it's smaller." I'm like, "Yeah, it's smaller, <laughs> but it doesn't really change the cost of manufacture very much. Runtime is almost the exact same. Nor does it change the amount of time that Chris and I spend per knife." And so it doesn't really change anything. Maybe maybe I save like five dollars in material. Maybe not even. And so, knowing that, learning that lesson from 2015, um, we have specifically been gearing what we do to try and be able to bring down our base price point on knives so that they are more competitive with uh, actually companies that are significantly larger than us. And we, we've always kind of punched above our weight class. I mean, we're a little two-man company, and we've tried to be as competitive as possible as we can with companies like Hinder and Strider. I mean, Hinder has like 24 employees now, a fairly wow. sizable manufacturing facility. I mean, I, I talk with Rick anytime I see him at a show, and I always ask him, how many employees you got now, Rick? He's like, yeah, I got like 24. You see our new shop? It's huge. We got like 15 CNCs. It's amazing. I'm like, yeah, it must be nice. <laughs> it must be expensive. <laughs> really expensive. Mm-hmm. And so we've always tried to be like competitive in in sort of I don't know I guess that's our our we fit in that in that category with like Strider and Hinderer and Chris Reed we're sort of in that grouping because we don't do super extravagant stuff in terms of material choice I mean now we have damn steel we can offer our our normal stuff isn't particularly fancy because we want them to be knives that you're going to put in your pocket and use and carry. Well, we do make stuff like Maker's Choice. It's a little more on the artistic side. I mean, you don't see a ton of my stuff with um, Timascus on it. Do we have some? Yeah. Do we use it every now and then? Yeah. But it's not like our, our main go-to. And it's something that we've been working on for many years of getting our manufacturing process set, getting our supply chain in place so that we can really offer these knives at a competitive price point and for four inches of 20 cv uh, we've yeah we definitely know that we're we're putting this knife at a very very tasty price and you know back uh, into the discussion we were having about the maker's choice finishes and things that we learn is with the stinger xl we're opening up everything you know all of our our special finishes that we've we've put out over the years um to really to say, yeah, you know, 475 to get this knife, but for 475, you're going to get a knife that's going to look unlike any other, you know, quote unquote mid tech or semi production knife that's out there. Where you're essentially getting a custom knife because we're we're doing all the work, making it look unique for at a, you know, basically an unheard of price for a custom knife. Yeah, it's awesome to hear. Yeah. It, it looks great. I'm excited about that one. We're pretty excited about it, too. Um, we're already debating on... So for every run that we do, Elliot makes... He makes his own alpha build. I make my own alpha build that we hit all of our spots when we're fitting and, and doing all that stuff. And so that we can carry and evaluate and beat the shit out of the knife to make... You know, We're very confident in the way we design and build knives that it'll stand up to anything. But we got to double check just to be sure. And that way we end up with a really cool knife in our pocket. So That's the only thinking. way I get to keep my knives, actually. <laughs> it seems to be a common theme. Not many make. I don't. Brian, do you even have any of your own knives right now? Um, I do have the one Hurricane that was made from the blade that I left in the acid for like three hours. <laughs> oh yeah. I would. I would also like to point out in the Stinger XL, there looks like there's jimping on the flipper, which is definitely a welcome oh, yeah. addition because. 
Uh, if you guys heard our last podcast, which I think you did, me and Levon may or may not have complained about the Mordax for not having uh, a, a easily accessible flipper. I'm not much of a nerd either. Like, I, I mean, I, I well, I am, but I enjoy, I really, the knife was beautifully made, first off. I just, and normally I'm not like someone who's like, oh, why didn't they put jimping on this flipper? Why isn't it there? And But truthfully, my finger kept slipping off the damn thing because the the detent was was actually rather robust and it would i would actually it would actually hurt but you know other than that it was an awesome knife yeah so the jimping is a welcome addition yes do, do you, do you want to address this jim address it <laughs> so um yeah especially with a big four inch blade um normally you know i'm a i have sweaty hands as well so i understand the the slipping from time to time um mordex (laughs) yeah i am um (laughs) it happens sure Uh, so and especially with with the mordex um that was you know we made that knife in mid 2015 sure um one of the things that we've learned is to find that sweet spot of the detent pressure where when we first started making knives it was like whatever just bend it over we can disengage the lock and flip it you know with knife maker hands um <laughs> yeah we're not small people either i'm six five about 260 what are you six six three, three. i'm about 190 now i'm a little skinny oh, skinny little bit look at you yeah Dave, uh, so, you're the smallest person here yeah i have been told before that i have quote pussy hands so i wouldn't <laughs> say this is a problem with the knife it might be just a problem with me and my pussy hands well, we've we've been learning over the years and, and dialing it down so that it's not like unbelievably hard to disengage and, and deploy it. Uh, of finding that sweet spot where you get a nice snappy deployment, but it's yeah, it's not going to tear up your finger. It's not going to you know slip off awkwardly. Um, and it's it's some of the lessons and the progression that we've had since the Mordax and since some of our earlier models. For sure. So it's interesting because uh, you know it wasn't just you guys. There was a trend going for like hardcore yeah. detent, and I get the idea. I mean, it's all right to have a good detent, but have it be a detent and not like you know five hundred pounds of lock bar pressure. And it wasn't you guys. Yeah. It was just an entire theme that was going through the knife community at the time. Oh, I will you openly know? admit it. There are some knives that that we've gotten back. Uh, you know about actually the Ferox was was one. Uh, that we just <laughs> we bent them over and we're like feels good to us whatever it'll be fine mm. but it's a lesson that we've learned and we've actually put in a lot of time and effort over the years to try and and find that sweet spot in the middle for that reason because in in my mind when i'm fitting a knife i always have this image of me standing on top of a ladder <laughs> uh you know six feet up in the air and i have something held in my left hand that i need to trim an edge off or something and going can I pull my knife out of my pocket, flip it open, you know, it with gloves on, cut the piece that I need to safely uh, close the knife and put it back in my pocket, all while being on a ladder? That's sort of the the spot of detent pressure and lock pressure that we're shooting for. <laughs> so it's you know, like lessons we've learned over the years. Certainly, it's pretty cool. There's been a few. Absolutely. A few? We could write a book. <laughs> I don't know who would read Dave, it, did but you we have... could write it. <laughs> I'm sure someone, if someone is listening to this podcast, they'd probably read the book. Let's just be honest with <laughs> I'd, I'd read it. <laughs> Dave, did you have any more questions? 
Yeah, I, I had some <laughs> rapid. Guys. I had some rapid fire questions. Um, one thing we were, I was going to ask it way back, but we were on a real roll then. Uh, with the maker's choice and just with your knives in general, uh, do you have a reason why the lock sides never get an embellishment? Like the new uh, spinner has that gorgeous facets uh, design that you did on one of the scales, and it would look so cool if it was on the other side, but it's just it's not on the lock side. So, uh, any specific reason for that? You want this one or me to take it? Take it, Elliot. <laughs> okay. One of the things that I do not love when there's a bunch of machining on the other side is when that pocket clip sticks in your pocket and grates up your pocket because there's machining on the other side. Yep. There are ways around it. That's true. Um, one of the other things is because we offer a minimum of four different phase scale options, that means that I would have to machine mated lock scales to each one of them, and that would make what we do a lot more challenging. That makes sense. That it, it would add in significant cost to to the knife. That's totally fair. I th I always found it to be you know what what would be difficult would be that a lot of the sculpting is done basically freehand, wouldn't you say? A lot of the sculpting that you're doing. I've done a couple of knives where I've I've carried this sculpting all the way over onto the lock scale, and this is the other thing about doing that by hand is that it doubles the amount of time that I'm sure. spending carving, and so. It already takes me like almost two weeks to carve 10 scales. So if I were to double that again, then I'm, I'm basically going to be carving titanium for an entire month. And while I had very robust hands, I just don't think they can handle it. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> well, the, the real problem is, you know, we have bills to pay and things in the meantime. That is true. There's um, always that. And because the. But you the guys aren't scale, forging knives in Valhalla? I mean, come on now. We That's only do that on the weekends. No. That's only Sundays. Um. <laughs> Get your loin cloth. <laughs> I've got mine on. So, a big part, of getting back to what Elliot was saying about the lock scale, because that's the part of the knife that is constantly, uh, it's interacting with your pocket in and out of the out of your pocket constantly, um, and so any little thing can catch on there. There's a lot of things that can you'll start wearing other parts unevenly. Um, so you end up with maybe like a weird little bald spot because you've been pulling the knife in and out of your pocket 50 times every day for two months, which happens. I mean, we do it. I mean, you've heard the clicks while we're recording this. There's one. Uh, you know, while we're talking, we're, you know, whenever Ellie and I are, are discussing things in the shop, we always have a knife in our hand. And we're always flicking it open. It goes back in the pocket. It comes back out. We're flipping it. Oh, to get distracted. You put it down. You wonder where your knife is. You come back an hour later. It's sitting there on the bench. You name it. Um, so, I guess I didn't really have a point there. You just lost train of thought. <laughs> right, yeah, there it went. Choo, 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 right out the window. All right, mm -hmm. last question, I promise. And I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about this because I know there's got to be people wondering. The pivots, the circumference of the pivots, it always throws people off. And uh, you guys are way too thoughtful to have just randomly done that. So, <laughs> Brother, please. <laughs> if you guys want to go ahead and explain that one because I know people want to know because there's probably mm -hmm. some hearsay out there about it. There's a lot of hearsay out oh there about goodness, it, but gracious. like you said, we have thought through it. We do have very specific reasons, and I'm going to let Elliot get into it because he loves talking about I this. Love this part. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll start out with an anecdote. So in the over 4,500 knives we have out in the world, um, the only part that I have not seen fail, break, or bend on our knives is the damn pivot. <laughs> Everything else I have seen whether it is through 
acts of God, or I don't know how some of these things get destroyed, but it is truly impressive. The one thing that has never bent, broken, or deformed has been that little eighth-inch pivot. The other one is is that the normal conception is, the normal preception is, is that the bigger around something is, the stronger it's going to be. That makes sense. If it was a solid piece of material, I would agree with you, but pivots are hollow. And so one of the things that we're really measuring is the wall thickness and the difference in wall thickness from an eighth inch pivot to a six, three sixteenth pivot or even to a quarter inch pivot is not proportional to the reduction in friction that we are seeing by having a smaller pivot. So our knives always flip a little nicer because there's less friction occurring there at the pivot area. And we're not really losing very much strength in the pivot area. The other part of that is, is that our knives function as a system. And so the force that is being put on the pivot in any given point in time is never all of the force that's being put on the, the blade of the knife, or the handle of the knife, right? It gets absorbed into the lock, it's absorbed into the stop pin. Um, and the stop pin is actually something that, you know, we take super seriously and ours are screwed in and shouldered in um, because they do a lot more mechanical work than the pivot does. Pretty much the pivot just keeps the blade in the knife in our knives. Uh, I've had a lot of people where their pivot screw has come undone. They haven't noticed it. They've been carrying their knives for weeks. And then they finally notice that the pivot screw is out. I'm like, dude, I lost my pivot screw and I don't know when. <laughs> I'm like, well, one of the things that the way we engineer works is that really you don't need the pivot screw all that often in our knives. We, we work really hard to fit them so that they still open, close, and lock without the pivot screw in them. I actually build and engineer our knives off of the lock scale, um, independent of the face scale. You could, if you wanted to, theoretically, just take a bunch of washers and put them on there on the front of the knife and screw the pivot screw onto the washers, and the knife should still function completely the same. Because for me, face scales are glorified washers. You know someone's going to do that now after hearing <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You think you think I haven't done it? <laughs> I won't let him do it. You're just opening yourself I'm, up for can of worms. Video. Mm -hmm. Of course I am. Well, anytime you talk about the specific way that you do things and why you do things, there's always somebody that wants to test it. Well, I, I mean, I'm glad that you guys explained that because uh, I think a technical knowledge of how knives work is pretty rare in the knife community. And if the we can do our say, part sir. to teach people. <laughs> and what you guys were saying earlier, you know, perception is the reality right for a lot of people so a lot, something like that a, a choice like that it's great to have clarity around it yeah you know i think that's really cool did i um, did we on, do a video where i explained it you maybe we might have we might have it, we, we're going to be repeating it for a long YouTube. time I, i'm sure you will <laughs> mm -hmm. well i used to have discussions with uh with chuck bybee he's the guy that runs alpha knife supply because i used to order pivots and stuff from them back in the day and and we had interesting discussions about the eighth inch pivot because there are people that still use them today, but they disguise them by having bigger size pivot screws on both sides. So you can't really tell that it's an eighth inch pivot. And you know, I told Chuck, you know, why I use it. You know, the actual uh, engineering reasons why the I physics use it. behind it, the physics. Thing. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, you know, Elliot, he's like, you can go to museums that have knives from the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s, and they've all got pivots that are made out of brass that are an eighth nice. inch and they still function. And those are knives that probably killed people, like did real hardcore shit, not opening packages. So <laughs> that contain but, other knives. 
<laughs> that are only in there with some <laughs> bubble wrap and tape to the box. Let's not forget about those tactical styrofoam peanuts, guys. Call back back to the Strider joke earlier in the episode. Look how meta we're getting. Oh, <laughs> and we're already tooting our own horn. Impressive. <laughs> Three episodes in. Oh yeah. <laughs> but on on the side, that's a lot of information that you guys gave us, which is fr- freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, we'd like to have you guys weigh in on some other things that've been going on in the knife world, and something that we touched on. Uh, last week was uh, a gentleman named Chris Williamson. Dave, can you talk about that? Yeah, not Chris Williams' son. That's yeah. me. Uh, Williams, Chris that's Williams you. is a different guy. This, I, I hate to say Boy that your slip. I, I hate mm. to say that your names are too common, but there's a Chris Williamson. You know, you and then Chris Williams, Wilmont Grinders, and then the Chris Williams in question here. He was our wingding of the week last week. Just brief reminder: he is the knife maker from South Carolina who is at first taking pre-cut blanks and putting handles on them and selling them as custom knives, and now more recently has been selling Ganzo knives, so Chinese clones of a Snowdy Benchmade design from years back <laughs> as his own and selling them for $150. So fun update on Blade Forum. Someone posted a thread about how they've been scammed out of $5,000 by this gentleman, if you can call him that, and he finally caught wind of it, and also there was another thread about the production knives that he is rebranding, and he has been issuing season desists to the forum and the forum owner, Spark, asking him to stop because he's violating federal laws about doxing because someone looked up his credit score or something crazy like that. <laughs> so Chris Williams has officially lost his goddamn mind, and uh, we'll see if this ends in court. So our podcast is about to become the most sued podcast in the knife community. <laughs> Everybody's going to sue us. We're racking lawsuits up. <laughs> but I think before we were talking. Uh, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Lots of alleged- why? I didn't say it once. Holy shit, guys, we're fucked. I didn't say allegedly yeah, we're, once. We're doomed. And, oh, Jesus. Uh, you know, don't worry. At least now we can't put it on YouTube because you just said the F word. Uh, oh, crap, no. guys. We but come de- on the demonetized. podcast and it's going to get shut down. Throw it, just, just throw it in the recycle bin, de- Dave. Demonetize from our great, pot, uh, our great sponsors. <laughs> you guys got sponsors? Yeah, right. <laughs> we do now. Ferrum Forge Knife Works. Anyway. Yeah, pay for my trip to Blade. I'll dress as I'll, one I'll of you give, guys. I'll give you guys a microphone. Yeah, Whoa. there we go. <laughs> wow. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I hate to hear stuff like that personally. Um, you know, because Ellie and I, we 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 take it very seriously. You know, when we say we're putting out a product that we make, it is our job. It's what we do, you know, and we're, we work our asses off, right? We're here 10, 11, 12 hours every day, six, seven days a week, you know, uh, social lives. What's that? I don't know. I don't understand this. We we don't know what that is. I don't know. So as, as ones who are really busting our butts to put out a good product at a reasonable price to see somebody who's coming in and just slapping a different logo on something else, marking it up outrageously, and then going ahead and issuing cease and desist orders when people call them out. I, you know, it's it it hurts to hear that, and it, you know, I, I don't like to see other quote unquote knife makers, if you'll call them that, doing things like that because it, it hurts the rest of us. Most of us are are guys out here working hard, trying to feed our families with with what we do. And so to see people that are taking advantage of other people's ignorance in that way, it's it's disappointing. And I think it hurts the rest of us that are 
really working hard to run a, a, an honest business based off of integrity because it, it's something it's a core value to me and Elliot is that you know we want we want to be transparent you know when we say something we don't want people to go well is that really what it's like or are these guys just pulling the wool over my eyes it's like this, this is what it is but we, at, we actually encounter that too where we say things and then people are like oh yeah and I'm like no really like why would I make that up Mm-hmm. Like when we talk about like what things cost and like why our knives are priced the way they are, it's not because we're getting rich over here. It's quite the opposite. Oh, I wish we were getting rich. That'd be so I mean, cool. like, what what does my W two say? I paid myself $34,000 dollars last year. Was what I paid myself. Hey, that's exactly what I make. Join the club <laughs> before taxes. You guys are touching on very high level stuff here, and believe it or not, it's it's something that is in every industry. Uh, and, and it really separates the successful mm-hmm. companies from the ones that go belly up. And th- there's a common factor there. It's like you guys have a why for existing. You guys have a, a reason to do what you're doing. You have a uh, an end goal. So that's why I say you're a company with a why. You know, a lot of companies have a how and a what, right? Mm-hmm. They say they said, "All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna rebrand these knives and make and just sell these to people without any sort of you know." repercussions of what may happen from from any of this and a lot of companies may have that but to have a why that really keeps you passionate about it and um makes you makes people know that you're trying to make the best product for that mm-hmm. well the temptation is very very real uh, knowing what i know about manufacturing i could easily have someone overseas make my knives and then we just do stuff to them here and then sell them like that that's we could do that it's but it's been done but it's dishonest and i think there's just something in the way that chris and i are put together we probably thank our dad for this one where if it's got our name on it like we we have to have more hands-on work on i mean even there was a lot of stepping back that had to occur to do the the master op project there was a lot of like oh i gotta let some stuff go here like i gotta let it go when i don't want to let it go uh, I still am uh, all up in Wee's business. Like I email back and forth with a couple of their guys, their engineer and their product guy, uh, every single night because they're up, they're waking up as most people are going to bed. So when you're up and in full, yeah. Swing. So when I'm in full, full rock and roll, yeah, they get some emails. Oh boy! And so I, I it was one of the things that I that is in our contract with Mastrop was I am the guy that deals with Wee Knives. I am the guy that interfaces with them. All decisions get made through me when it comes to the manufacturing side of things because I have to be involved in it because it's got my name on it. Well, it's got my company's name on it. And so I, I want to know. I got to know because I just don't want cheap shit out there with my brand on it. And the same thing goes with the knives that we make. Like there, there is something that we truly enjoy about actually making real products here with our hands. It's satisfying on the intrinsic level that unless you've done it, you don't understand yeah, there, I mean, there's a, a special feeling when you get that knife, it's all together, everything is finished on it, you flip it open, you're like, yeah. yeah. Who made that? Yeah, yeah. who made that? And there, there's definitely a satisfaction that goes with that. It keeps even us going. the years and the thousands of knives that we've made, like, it's still it's still there. We still do it. It still happens. Like, like I'll, I'll finish one up and I'm like, dude, bro, check it out. He's like, yeah, that's pretty fucking sick, man. I mean, like, we still do that, and we've been doing this for years and thousands of times, and it's still, like, the feeling is still the same. 
Well, it sounds like you guys are just on the precipice of a lot of really awesome things. And I know everyone, you know, the guys here at Knife Nuts wish you nothing but the best of luck with everything that's going on, whether it's through uh, the Mass Drop project that you guys are doing or with, you know, the standard Ferrum Forge knives and your 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 maker's choice. Uh, we really do wish you the best. And, you know, we've been, we're going to keep an eye on everything that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Uh, can I take this opportunity to plug some stuff real quick? Please, yeah, go yeah, for it. Or is yours? Un, unabashedly plug some things. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about the Falcon. Uh, that's available on MassDrop.com. Uh, the drop is going for, there's seven days left now? Eight days. Eight days, or by the time you guys, you guys get this posted, probably five or six. Um, so those are going if you're on the fence. Uh, obviously, we're biased, but we highly <laughs> suggest you get one. Um, well, I've been carrying one for longer than anyone because um, hmm. I have one. I have like the OG prototype from Aren't you a special? while ago. <laughs> we are special. Thank are you. Special. <laughs> That's what our mommy oh, tells I, us I all actually, the time. I actually had to pay for that. So we <laughs> do for free. Mm -hmm. um, and for for what it is, I mean, it is a, a really, it is a good knife. I mean, if I were to go out to a store and try and buy a production knife, it's everything that I would want in a production knife. It's almost like I designed it that way. Almost like that. Hmm. And then there's there's stuff that's going to be in that Mass Forge line that's coming down the pipeline that we are really really excited about. That I have a I have some prototypes for, and I I am waiting for the day when I can start talking about them officially because they are so fantastic. Yeah, the, there's more good things to come through the Mass Drop Ferrum Forge brand or Mass Forge as we like to call it. A um, lot more good things to come. Um, I was going to ask if that was trademarked, <laughs> the Mass Forge thing. Well, we actually talked about it with uh, with them because we know that like when we've done stuff with with Gavco, right? It, it gets shortened into Furco. Like we've done this is our third um, collaboration with with Gavco, and mm -hmm. they're always called Furcos. And so going off of that, I'm like, you know, people are going to try and, and, and shorten this Mass Forge, this Mass Drop Ferrum Forge thing down into like Mass Forge. Embrace and it. Like, like, oh, hey, that's not bad, Elliot. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Words were look at me. <laughs> English major. <laughs> Another callback. Good job, guys. You're getting the you're getting the hang of this podcasting thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't fallen asleep, so congrats on that. No. And uh, one last thing is like you had mentioned it before, the Stinger XL pre order is live on our website right now. Uh there are uh, so many potential finishes on there. I mean, the permutations uh, were in the thousands. You, we, there is a strong chance um, that we could make every single knife in the 200-piece run different. It's not a strong <laughs> chance. It's a definite thing. We could do that. Well, you yeah. know, some of the dealers, they like the same thing because they don't want to do a bunch of different you know, product pages. Mm -hmm. So they ask for the same thing. Well, you know, not all of those combinations are going to look good. <laughs> It's a big part of it. Um, no one said anything about looking good. So There's how no does how does someone definitely not? How, <laughs> speaking of that, how does anyone? How can someone who's interested get on the list for uh, something like the Maker's Choice, or how does that work? So uh, we open up our pre-order. Uh, unfortunately, the Stinger XL, all the Maker's Choice slots are sold out already. They tend to go Damn. very quickly. Um, yeah. Since we only have ten of them. Uh, and it, it is a pre-orderable option on our website when all of the, the uh, 
finish options and scale choices go live on our website, one of the things that can be selected is the maker's choice. Um, now that those are all sold out, though, we do have a lot of other good finishes on there. Um, we, uh, you know, we love our Star Wars here, uh, mm-hmm. so we're offering the Force user finish, so you can get four inches of a red, blue, or green, or purple if somebody wants it. Blade, a nice window action. I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's uh most nobody's requested it yet, and I'm just waiting for someone because I would love to make a Mace Windu inspired knife. Um, just can, can I put bad motherfucker on it somewhere? I on the inside of the frame. Actually, you know what? I think Lafon's gonna buy this. I think I'm actually gonna order this knife. <laughs> no lie. Can, can you put like your under arrest motherfucker somewhere on there? I guess the, I, the bad motherfucker sounds so cool bad, on the inside of the knife. I would just work so well, and it's a mace window lightsaber. Maybe a little snake somewhere on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I, that would be so cool. <laughs> just do a Sam Jackson themed knife. Oh my god, That'd be cool. Oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> that could be fun. You never know. So is that. The I'm maker's gonna... choice. The maker's choice aren't carved yet, so something could happen. It is our choice. It's just Samuel Jackson's yes. face. Yes. <laughs> the path of the righteous one is beset on all sides. I'm gonna stop. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll digress, and maybe I'll talk to you guys after the show. Um, but I just really wanted to thank you guys for coming on, uh, reaching out to us too. I mean, that was really cool of you, and we really, really appreciate it. Our pleasure. This has been fun. Super fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, they can either go to our website, www.ferrumforge.com, or if you want to send an email, you can send it to info at ferrumforge.com. That is the best way to get in touch with us. Uh, don't DM us on Instagram because um, <laughs> oh. uh, we're really bad at that, <laughs> and those get lost. I try so hard. Mm-hmm. I try so hard. So you're not you're not true millennials then. The email is the best way. <laughs> well, guess not. On top of all that, guys, we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, again, I'm Levon. I'm Metal Levon on Instagram, which is where you'll probably pretty much find me most of the time. Uh, Dave, you can find him at Misanthropy. Go ahead and g- give your whole list of places they can find. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know what the fuck y'all talking about. You can't find me anywhere. I'm still not trying to get these lawsuits. <laughs> Underscore misanthropy on Instagram, misanthropy on YouTube. That's where we can allegedly find you. Allegedly. allegedly. Mm-hmm. And I'm Jake? still I'm still whiskey pickle Jake on Instagram, at least for now. And and the quiet one over there. I'm sharp by design on Instagram and sharpbydesign.com. You can have the rest of my info. Very cool. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for getting us to episode three, and hopefully we'll see you guys uh, in the coming weeks where we'll be featuring the ghost of Bob Lum. <laughs> oh God, it's he happening. Did it. He, he did, did it. it. He did it. <laughs> Join us next week where we participate in a seance and speak to the departed soul of Bob Lum. Good night, everyone, or good good afternoon, whatever. Good lunch break whenever you're listening to this.